Good evening, curious listener, and welcome to your number one source of ancient history, Lore of the Ancients. I am your host, The Nameless, and today we are going to talk about the rise and the fall of one of Rome's most infamous emperors, Caligula. Before we get into what makes him such an infamous ruler, we have to get into his early life so you can better understand Caligula. Or should I say, Gaius Julius Caesar Germanicus. Gaius was born on August 31st, 12 AD in Antium, a small ancient coastal town that could be found south of the Roman Empire. He was the third of the six surviving children of Germanicus, an ancient Roman general who was the grandson of Mark Anthony, and the second cousin of the notable Agrippina the Elder. Blood relations through Agrippina would make Caligula a distant relative of Octavian Caesar Augustus. This would come into play later in his life. Caligula was not a lonely child, having two older brothers, Nero and Drusus, and three younger sisters, Agrippina the Younger, Julia Drusilla, and Julia Livilla. Out of them, only Nero would make a name for himself and go down in history as more than just Caligula's older brother. Caligula spent most of his time in his early years with his father, accompanying him on campaigns north of Germany while wearing a little soldier's outfit and army boots. The soldiers took a liking to little Gaius and nicknamed him Caligula, meaning Little Boot. Caligula was not fond of the name at the time, and even disliked it in his later life as well. But over time, it grew on him and became just another title for him to bear, and a reminder of his father, a father that would soon perish unknowingly to him. Germanicus died during his stay at Antioch, supposedly due to a lingering illness, but it was clear that an agent of Tiberius, a political rival of Germanicus, had poisoned him. His death was covered up, and Caligula would be forced to live with his mother until she too eventually met an untimely fate. She was not murdered like her husband, but was rather forbidden from remarrying and jailed for treason. To further break apart Caligula's family during the year 29, Tiberius would banish both Nero and Caligula. Caligula would go on to live with his great-grandmother, Antonia Livia, until she too had perished as well. During this time, his brother Drusus would become imprisoned on false charges of treason, and his brother Nero would die from starvation after exile. After these events, Caligula would go into the care of his grandmother, Antonia. Here, he and his remaining siblings would remain under the close watch of the guards and soldiers of Tiberius, being restricted in such a way that they may as well have been public prisoners. After a year of this grueling way of living, Caligula would be remanded under the care of Tiberius 
to supposedly keep a close watch on him. He would remain there for six years, which was shocking to many, including Caligula himself. The idea that Tiberius would spare Caligula was outlandish to everyone, especially after the history the two shared. But many thought that Tiberius was simply waiting, waiting for Caligula to make an attempt on his life so that he could justifiably execute him. However, what the public may not have known is that this had already transpired. Caligulus had gone into Tiberius's room with a knife when he was supposedly asleep and attempted to kill him as revenge for his mother and brothers. But he couldn't bring himself to do it. He threw the knife on the ground and walked away out of pity. Apparently, Tiberius was awake during this, and many speculate this was the reason why he kept Caligula alive. Whether it was out of fear for his own life, or out of admiration for his attempt. Maybe even because he knew Caligula can't kill him and wanted to use this for his political advantage. Before Caligula became the emperor, and after he had been admitted into the care of Tiberius, he was already showcasing violent tendencies and had an interest in sadistic, crueler acts, as well as an interest in the theater and the arts. These will come into play later as they are the centerpiece of his downfall. While in the care of Tiberius, Caligula would often dress up in a wig and robe to attend public executions, tortures, and even theater in disguise. This wasn't too odd as many enjoyed attending these events, but his frequency and his enjoyment of these acts are what made him stand out among the crowd, not his wig and robe. He would spend his nights indulging in sin after sin, committing adultery, gluttony, and giving into all of his mortal desires. Tiberius did not approve of these hedonistic actions, but did not tell him to stop. Rather, he would indulge him in his artistic interests, like theater, song, and dance, hoping that it would soften his savage nature over time. Once Tiberius realized that his tendencies would not be calmed, but rather get worse, he saw that sparing Caligula was a mistake, and that he had raised a faith on for the world, someone who would bring about disorder and destruction. Despite this thought and his regrets, Tiberius would give Caligula an honorary quaestorship which he would retain until he became emperor. The reasons behind this are questionable, and we don't really know why Tiberius would do such a thing. Some speculate that Caligula had threatened Tiberius into giving him the quaestorship, but that wouldn't make sense. Why wouldn't he just threaten Tiberius to make him an heir? Why would he ask for a quaestorship. This would later 
come to be recognized as a decidedly bad decision and would lead to Caligula gaining power in the future. While Caligula was living his life to the fullest, his mother and brother were still suffering in prison in the worst of conditions. Unfortunately, before he could see them again, they would both die in prison due to starvation. After these events, Caligula would marry a woman named Junia Claudia in the year 33, who would die the following year during childbirth. Throughout his entire life, Caligula has been surrounded by the death of his loved ones and the killings of his enemies. What kind of emperor would come from a man surrounded by the corpses of everyone he knew? What kind of emperor would this man become? Just before the Liberalia festival, Tiberius would be murdered on March 16th 37 AD, he would come to be smothered in his sleep by Macro, a Praetorian guard who served under Tiberius since 31 AD. Caligula was supposedly involved in the murder of Tiberius, according to Suetonius and Tacitus. However, contrary to the statements, there are some who say he died a natural death, such as Philo Judaeus. There wasn't much public outcry over the death of Tiberius, as many saw him as a tyrannical ruler and an unjust man. The elite of the Roman people were even ecstatic over the death of Tiberius, and could not wait for the next emperor to take command. Only two days later, after these events, Caligula would take over the position of emperor after being officially sanctioned by the Senate for the position. The two heirs that Tiberius had selected to succeed him would be denounced by the Senate for the reason that Tiberius was reportedly insane during a selection, making it all null. Most of Caligula's early reign consisted of actions meant to please the citizens and the Senate, trying to win both their favors. His early reign is widely regarded as an overall good reign as emperor, and he was even the first emperor to be loved by everyone in Rome. However, things would change after his first two years of rule. Caligula's acts of godhood and worship would begin as early as when he was admitted into the position of emperor, with over 160,000 animals being sacrificed in his name during his first six months of rule. For what reason? Simply because he wanted people to worship him for his acts of kindness and generosity. So what were these acts? The first thing Caligula would come to do is nullify Tiberius's will even further than the Senate had. He would double the 500 coins left to the Praetorian guards and even give bonuses to all of the troops in the army in and outside the city. Furthermore, he would give 75 coins to each citizen in Rome on multiple occasions as long as they came to claim their coins. 
The next thing Caligula would put into motion is removing all bans and limits on public and private entertainment, such as gladiatorial fights and the use of the Colosseum. He would even invest money from the treasury to further improve the lavishness of the Colosseum itself and its games. He would begin constructing new games on Palatine Hill and yet again invest the money from the treasury for this expense. Caligula has successfully won over the people, as well as a small portion of the Senate, but he needed to do something more and get them all on his side so that he could have complete control over Rome. Caligula would happen upon Tiberius's secret papers detailing things from his life all the way to private political matters and affairs. Caligula would take these papers in front of the Senate and burn them, allegedly without having read them. After this, he had gained the majority favor of the Senate and was able to successfully modify the coinage to advertise the fact that he had restored the rule of law and brought order to Rome once more. But that's not all he did. He added more jurors to reduce the backlog of cases, made himself appear as humble as Augustus by refusing the title of Pater Patre, and even recalled all of those who had been exiled despite the circumstances of their exiles. And after all of these decisions, the Senate recognized him as a competent and strong leader, and the people recognized him as a kind, generous man. He had gained everyone's favor and was about to gain complete control of Rome. Any who were supporters of Tiberius or aided him during his rule without question were soon to be punished. The first to suffer this fate was Marcus Junius Salinus, who was an avid supporter of Tiberius. Caligula forced him to commit suicide as a means of execution. This was a common method he used for those who had supported Tiberius. He would go on to track down all who supported Tiberius and execute them one by one, a form of political genocide sanctioned by the Senate. After these violent acts, Caligula needed to yet again shift his focus and gain more control over Rome. His next plan to instate political and public reform was about to begin. His first major decision was to make all accounts of public funds available to the public allowing people to see how their money was being spent by the government. However, the accounts of private funds of the Senate and the Treasury were still unavailable for viewing from the public eye. This would give the illusion that the public was seeing exactly how their money was being spent, but rather they were unaware that most of the funds were being allocated into the Treasury and then into the pockets of Senators. His next major public reform was his choice to aid those who had lost their properties due to uncontrollable circumstances 
whether this be fires, floods, or strong storms. He would abolish unnecessary taxes created by Tiberius, and previous emperors as well. He would even lower the taxes for the poor and improve the general infrastructure of the economy. His first major political change was his decision to reinstate the process of electing officials into political positions as well as opening new positions for equestrian and senatorial orders. Despite all of these changes and improvements to Rome, Caligula was still being criticized by members of the Senate for his genocide of the supporters of Tiberius, and how they were worried he would do something like that again. There were still those in the Senate who believed that making Caligula emperor was a mistake. Despite his beneficial actions as emperor, he was far too unstable to be someone who they could put their complete trust in. Though, he was the first emperor in a long time who had managed to gain this much public favor, as well as general favor, among the Senate. He had clear political intentions in all of his actions, but the reason of this was unclear. Many viewed him as a second coming of Augustus, someone who could bring a new era of peace and order to Rome. While the Senate knew that something was wrong with Caligula. However, in late 37 AD, this would all change when a heavy object had fallen onto Caligula's head and caused him to have a severe seizure, lasting for an unknown amount of time. After this event, Caligula would begin to display changes in his personality and his demeanor. He lost the clear vision that he had before, and he lost his political edge. Caligula would supposedly be fine soon after this incident. However, according to private records, Caligula was unable to function for days following the incident. The public would never be aware of this information, and was made to believe that Caligula was fine after the incident. However, his actions following this incident would clearly highlight his changes. Caligula was able to cause great beneficial change in Rome in a faster way than almost every other emperor. However, this didn't come at a cost. During the year 38, Caligula noticed that the treasury was beginning to reduce in its size, and he needed to come up with some way to begin increasing the size of the treasury while continuing to improve Rome. He began blackmailing aristocrats and other elite members of Roman society, seizing their funds in the process. Despite these efforts, the financial crisis would become public and widely known in the year 39 AD, and Caligula would need to change, as the treasury was still declining despite his foolish efforts. Caligula began identifying all of the wealthy citizens in Rome and began blackmailing, framing, and killing them for the purpose of seizing their assets, not just taking their funds. Caligula would even begin asking the public for donations and revoked his earlier decision to lower the taxes for the poor. To make matters worse, Caligula would instate taxes on lawsuits, weddings, 
and other ceremonies, something which no other emperor had done before. He even auctioned the lives of gladiators and animals in the Colosseum, and would force anyone who had plundered land, property, or funds during expeditions to turn over all of these assets to him. All highway commissioners and public officials were accused of embezzling money and tax fraud, which wasn't exactly false, but they still ended up needing to pay him massive amounts of funds to him as well as the treasury. All of the public favor and favor among the Senate that Caligula had worked so hard to gain had been destroyed. Yet his power and control over Rome were still as strong as ever. The Senate was afraid of denying Caligula. They knew what would happen to them if they did, and the public would soon know as well. With these newly acquired funds, Caligula would continue construction on the projects that he had started in his early reign, and he would begin construction on new buildings as well. However, these buildings were not for the public, but rather for himself. He would use the lavish estates he stole from the hands of aristocrats and turn them into lavish mansions dedicated to his name. Before his true descent, he made some notable improvements to Rome before sending it into complete chaos. The highlights of these were improving the harbor by making repairs in Egypt and Sicily, as well as increased grain transports from Egypt. These would be the last changes that Caligula would bring to Rome that would come to positively impact it and it would be the last of the genuine praise that he would ever receive. From this moment on, Caligula's fall began. The people's opinion of Caligula had shifted. They didn't see him as the benevolent and generous emperor that they saw him as before. They began to see him as a tyrannical, power-crazed madman wanted nothing but to indulge in his own darkest desires, and experience hedonism to the highest degree he can achieve. Some of Caligula's notable early indulgences were the two extremely large, lavish ships he had custom made for himself. The smaller ship was held as a temple dedicated to the goddess Diana, while the larger ship was essentially a floating palace. The ship had marble flooring, full plumbing for functional water, a new heating system for the entire ship, and various bedrooms meant for sexual pleasure. An empty room on the ship could also be found that was rumored to use for torture or sacrifices. However, we may never know, as the ships burned in 1944, after the Second World War. Caligula would then begin imposing more foolish laws that would allow him to punish them for the vaguest reasons. Caligula had lost all favor with the Senate, and multiple plots against him had been constructed. However, Caligula would become aware of these and would execute any who he could prove to have been involved, before replacing them with someone of his own choosing. 
Caligula was rumored to have been holding the families of these chosen Senate members hostage to ensure their obedience. The Senate was in complete shambles. Despite all agreeing on the fact that they needed to do something about Caligula and his reign, but unfortunately they were unable to do anything. Come year 40, Caligula would become making large changes to Roman policy and public order by implementing policies that introduced strict religious rules into daily Roman life. He began the construction of various statues and commissions of portraits, murals, and anything that he could get his hands on to depict him as one of the gods as Rome. He would oftentimes call himself a messenger of God or an envoy of God, but the peak of his delusions was when he began to think of himself as a god. He would dress up and act like various different gods and goddesses and demigods, claiming to have been the gods inhabiting his mortal form. He would commit outrageous acts in the names of these gods and begin destroying the lives of anyone who he came across. He seized more property from the rich, the poor, and anyone who he could seize anything from. He implemented laws that made it impossible for people to live normal lives, and he spent even more money from the treasury that they hadn't even accumulated yet, putting the nation in debt. It's said that during his reign, Caligula spent well over 6 billion coins, most of which had been spent during his first year at 2.7 billion. However, these aren't the only things Caligula began doing. He didn't care about hiding his sadistic side anymore. Now that he was posing as the gods, he believed he could do anything he wanted, as long as he said it was in the name of a god. He held orgies where he would force others to have sex, and where he would force himself upon others. He held large feasts and banquets in his own honor, where the entertainment would be torture, sex, murder, and sometimes theatrical performances that ended with one of the aforementioned. Caligula began ramping up his public obscenities, starting with the grand events held at the Colosseum, where he would subject people to cruel torture and vicious murders. People would be forced to attend these events, and if they refused to do so, then they would be next in line to be thrown in the arena. Caligula's favorite way of torturing his victims in the Colosseum was by throwing them into an arena with a tiger and watching them fight for their lives unarmed. He would oftentimes add a twist. To do this, he would impair the person in some way, most commonly being breaking their legs, cutting their feet off, blinding them, breaking their arms, and even leaving them with a fatal wound before sending them in. Contrary to common Colosseum practices, the tigers were never starved, as he would hold this event at least once a day, and sometimes more with very few exceptions. This isn't all that Caligula would do to satisfy, satisfy his lust for blood. He would execute people in the street in any way he saw fit. He would have them tortured at one of his many estates. He would gut them and play with their organs, 
and you perform sacrifices in the name of gods. Caligula's reckless spending and killing led Rome to ruin. He would kill anyone without consideration for their position, causing disruptions in the economy, the balance of food, classes, and more. He would leave the lower and middle classes of Rome to starve, while he would let the high class feast on whatever scraps were left from his own. Caligula was hated by the Roman people, the Senate, and everybody around him. And so, a plot to assassinate him was being constructed, but this time it wouldn't be found out by the false god himself. The Senate, along with the elite of Rome, began the plan to kill Caligula. They needed something that would work, and they needed to make sure no one would find out. Due to past failed attempts to overthrow or kill Caligula, they only included the most trusted people they had, and would not discuss the matter unless they were all present and sure that they would not be found out by anyone. After months of arduous planning, the attempt to kill Caligula was prepared. They would approach him while he was alone at one of his estates and strike up a conversation with him. They would need someone who Caligula didn't see as a threat and someone who he saw as a friend in order to do this. They got a member of the Senate who Caligula was awfully fond of, but they didn't tell him for what reason they needed him to do this. He didn't question and agreed to do as asked. The next step was simple. They would surround him with Praetorian guards and ambush him while he was talking and kill Caligula. Unfortunately, this isn't exactly how it went. They didn't have enough guards to be able to surround Caligula, so they had to resort to involving themselves in the plan, which would mean their execution. But at this point, they were willing to do anything to get rid of Caligula. The plan was set, and all they needed to do was wait for the right moment. Caligula's murder would be foreshadowed by many events occurring across Rome at the time, such as the statue of Jupiter, which had been ordered to be taken to the capital for display, falling apart and breaking during travel. Later that day, a man named Cassius would appear in front of Caligula's court and tell him that he had a dream where they needed to sacrifice a bull to Jupiter, meaning they needed to appease the gods or face great calamity. And great calamity did come. The following day, a storm would come and lightning would strike the doors of the capital along with various statues and buildings dedicated to Caligula and the gods. The final nail in the coffin is when Caligula himself went to the soothsayer Sulla who would read his horoscope and tell him of his inevitable death and its quick approach. She told him to be wary of Cassius and the following day Caligula would order the execution of Cassius Longus. During that night, and before his murder, Caligula would dream of himself, standing next to Jupiter's throne, where the god would flick him with his toe and send him flying down to the earth, to his death. He took this as a message from the gods and hesitated to get up in the morning to attend the luncheon, but his friends had managed to persuade him into attending after all. The same friends who would later murder him. The luncheon would have a normal theater performance held as entertainment, 
and bountiful amounts of food. Caligula would get sick halfway through and walk out of the luncheon and into the hall. Here his friends would follow him and begin talking to him about the entertainment and other events. Then, finally, the moment came. The moment to strike. The moment where Caligula would finally lose his life. Cairo came up from behind and gave him a deep cut in the neck using a knife. Then, the tribune Cornelius Sabinus, who faced Gaius, stabbed him in the chest with yet another knife. During these events, the Praetorian guards set themselves up around Caligula to ensure that no one could stop the murder from taking place. Some would even join in on the murder and additionally stab Caligula. Caligula would end up having 30 different stab wounds varying from places such as his genitals to his shoulders, but all avoiding the head and the heart so that he could suffer as much as possible. The Praetorian guards surrounding Caligula would be slain, along with some of the members of the Senate aiding in the murder, while others ran. But the guards were too late. The murder of Caligula had already concluded. Caligula lived his life for himself, and ruled only for himself, and so he would die by himself. After 29 years, and a rule of three years, ten months, and eight days, the world would be rid of the monster known as Caligula. But the world would never be able to undo the damage he had managed to do in that short time. The insane madman who ruled Rome with a bloody fist had finally been killed, and yet Rome was not free from his eternal grasp. It would take many, many years for Rome to truly recover from the financial ruin that Caligula had placed it in. Not just that, but Caligula had ruined almost all political relations it had, and future Roman emperors would be forced to try and rebuild these connections from the ground up. The future emperors would also have to deal with the time-consuming activity of repealing all of the laws and policies Caligula had put into place as well as the redistribution of resources that Caligula had been hoarding for himself. However, the greatest challenge of all would be the people's faith. How could they in good faith believe that having an emperor was the best for the Roman people, when one person can hold the entire nation hostage? The Senate would try and reinstate the Republic after Caligula's reign. However, shockingly, another emperor would be put into power. Claudius Gothicus. Claudius would spend most of his time attempting to stabilize the Roman economy and dealing with trade as well as public relations. Rather than focusing on anything too large or ambitious, Claudius kept to himself. He tried to make as few drastic changes as possible so that he wouldn't be seen as yet another tyrant. Claudius thought he would be assassinated, but shockingly, he would be left in power for over 17 years during which he would manage to begin to stabilize the Rome's economy, yet not be able to restore the nation to what it once was. The Roman economy would continue to suffer throughout the years, and the people's favor of the emperor was no longer as negative as it once was. However, the Roman Senate was planning on reinstating the Republic as soon as they could.
Rome had been tainted by Caligula's reign. His egregious acts and rule left Rome a stained nation, one not full of pride, but rather shame. Even the gods of Rome had been tainted by the association with Caligula. He had managed to sink his fingers into every part of Rome and refused to let go even after his death. His life may have ended, but his reign over Rome would last for decades to come. That concludes this episode of Lore of the Ancients, and I hope you enjoyed listening to the tale of Caligula. Before we sign off, I would like to thank our sponsor for this episode who made this all possible, Big Milk. Have you ever found yourself lost in the woods with nowhere to go? Perhaps confused, dazed, and unaware of how you ended up there? Maybe you hear things at night that you can't explain, and feel eyes watching you. Maybe you see things that others can't. Well, don't worry. We have a solution for you. Introducing Big Milk. By calling 1-800-MILK and ordering yourself a 12-pack of Big Milk, you can rid yourself of all mortal troubles. Big Milk won't just resolve the aforementioned problems, but it will also cure cancer, respiratory diseases, gambling addictions, failure to perform during intimate moments, and more. Call 1-800-MILK and receive a 0.90% discount on your first order. All it takes is grabbing your phone and dialing the number in, and then giving us your social security number, credit card number, expiration date, the three silly numbers on the back, your address, and your preferred password for any personal accounts you may have. Warning, Big Milk LLC is not responsible for any internal damage you may face to your organs after consuming Big Milk products. Big Milk is not responsible for any cases of identity theft or credit card fraud. Big Milk is additionally not responsible for any break-ins that may occur on your property within the first two months of ordering. Call 1-800-MILK now and begin to better your life.